<coughs> I've entitled this morning's message, The Beautiful Bride. The Beautiful Bride. You know, we've been, uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, for a while now. And I figured we'd go on down and read a couple extra verses this time and, uh, and get a little deeper further into the passage this morning. And the theme has been about the church and understanding the role of the church, understanding how to be the church even when we're weathering storms. We looked at four things that we find in verse 42 that the early church did. And when we say the early church lived by this, by doing this, again, each one of these things can be, we could preach on each one of these probably more than one time and, and still not get all that's there uh, and still have a little meat left on the bone, but we, uh, we'll maybe do that another time. But we see that the early church had kind of four key things that they did. And we realized that the early church uh, was not living in a time um, of prosperity for them. They were not living in a time where things were easy. Matter of fact, Christians were being persecuted and killed for their faith. A lot of times when we look at passages in Scripture, we think, yeah, but you don't understand my situation. Well, God does understand your situation. And I'm sorry, your friends making fun of you or putting posts about you on Facebook does not equate to being bound, dipped in tar, and burned alive just to light the Garden of Nero. It doesn't include you being chained and thrown into the arena with tigers and things like that for sport. And so I'm sorry if it seems a little harsh to some degree, but the fact is, is that, well, a lot of times we're very soft. We're soft and even sometimes immature to think that somehow what we're living through now is in, you know, comparable really in any way to the true persecution that we see here in the Scriptures. But not only that, but to know that there are brothers and sisters around the world right now serving God, spreading the gospel, taking a chance, taking their life in their own hands, if you will, or I like to say better, putting their life in God's hands and let Him do what He wills. It's immature to think that God will not let us experience hardship. It's not only immature, it's unscriptural. Jesus said himself, they hated me, they will hate you also. And this time that we're living in is not sneak up on us. People being hostile to the gospel message isn't something new. And we're not the first ones to experience it. But if we're going to be mature, then we realize that it exists and if we're truly going to follow Christ, then we must follow wherever He leads and through whatever He leads. You know, it's funny, we take child, we take child Bible stories that we've heard and, and have little songs, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all remember that Bible, uh, Bible, uh, what they, Bible school song? And we, you know, it's all, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, they wouldn't burn. It's all great. And it's, it's a fun little tune. But think about what's really happening. What really happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were told, the matter of fact, they were conspired against. 
The king was kind of set up. He, he, wouldn't, he didn't really want to do that, but they kind of set him up and used his own degree, decree against him. And they did that to try to get rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and also Daniel, because they lived differently. They lived differently, and they would not, they, they would not bend on what they believed to be right. And even in that process, God, His anointing was on them, and they were able to do great things. And they had found favor with the king and other people in his court. And so some people got mad about it, and they kind of used the king's decree against them. So next thing you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing a fiery furnace. They either bend and bow down to the to what they had made there when they heard the sound of the flute, they either had to, to bow or they were going to burn. And it's not just a cute little song, it's a true life historical event. And in that historical event, they were thrown into the fiery furnace that was so hot that the heat blast killed the ones who opened it. Then they were thrown in. But when they looked in the furnace, they saw... They saw another one. Didn't we throw three people in? There was a fourth one there. The Bible says, like unto the Son of Man. They had to go through the furnace. I don't know about you, but I pray real hard that I don't have to face the furnace sometimes. And we see that the early church didn't pray to be released out of hardship. Instead, they prayed for strength that they may be able to preach the gospel even when they were facing opposition. And that, my friends, must be our prayer too. If we're going to be the church, then we have to come to that place where we're going to have to decide, is he in control? Now, we know that he's in control, but am I going to embrace his control so that I may bring him glory and that I may be able to stand before him and not have to hang my head in shame because I rejected his will in my life. And so it's with this that we go to Acts chapter 2, and we start reading to verse 42, and we see the, the four key things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to communion, remembering what Christ did, and also to pray. And so as we read Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you. Lord, as we come to you today, we are just, Lord, I, I just feel overwhelmed. Lord, because of your love and because of the mercy that you've shown me, knowing that I don't deserve any, but still yet, you love me. And not only that, but Lord, that you would use us. That you would use me, Lord, for your kingdom work. Knowing, Father, knowing how imperfect I am still yet. 
you use us for your holy and righteous work. Father, today, Lord, as we go into this passage, we ask you, Lord, that the, uh, Lord for our hearts to be open and for ears to be attentive and centered on listening to your word. God, we pray that our hearts will be open, Lord, to your call. Lord, if there's someone here, we pray that they would listen to the call, Lord, that, that call uh, for salvation in their lives. And Lord, for those who are here who do know you, Father, we pray today that, Lord, that also their hearts will be open. Lord, if there's something in their life that, that you would have them do, Lord, or if there's something in their life, Lord, that they are rejecting, that they need to embrace, Father, we pray for that. Whatever the case may be, God, we know that you know us inside and out. And so, Father, we, Lord, we just, Lord, we lay ourselves before you today and ask you, God, Lord, to bless us, not for our glory, but for yours. Lord, we pray that these will be your words and not mine. Not about my preaching, but about your word, your ability, your power, your knowledge. Lord, we pray this today in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. Amen. I was listening to a, a message by Dr. John MacArthur, and he describes the early church. Now listen to this. He describes the early church as an ordinary church. Now I want you to think about that a minute. Ordinary. I don't know about you, but there doesn't seem anything to be ordinary about the church. But yet he, he actually called it the ordinary church. He cites a, a book by, that was written by a gentleman named Michael Horton who worked with Langanier Ministries and also some others. And he said that ordinary is a lonely word. A lonely word. And this is what he writes in his book. He says, radical, crazy, transformative, and restless. Every word we read these days seems to suggest that there is a next best thing. If only we would change our comfortable, compromising lives. In fact, the greatest fear most Christians have is boredom. The sense that they are missing out on the radical life that Jesus promised. One thing is certain, no one wants to be ordinary. Our attempts to measure our spiritual growth by our experiences, constantly seeking after the next big breakthrough, have left many Christians disillusioned and disappointed. There's nothing wrong with an energetic faith. The danger is that we can burn ourselves out on, on restless anxieties and unrealistic expectations. What's needed is not another program or fresh approach to spiritual growth. It is a renewed appreciation for commonplace. And that's by Michael Horton. Think about what he's saying there. It's what seems to be people today in all the, all the different uh, church growth books that you can get your hands on. They're all talking about the different programs that you have to have. You have to have something for this age group or something for that age group. Or you have to have this. You have to have flashy music. You have to have certain kind of lighting as if you need to set the mood, as if the Holy Spirit can't work on your heart by himself, that he suddenly needs you to set the mood. Listen, this ain't a high school date. This is coming into God's presence. Now I want you to think about that very clearly today, that God promised us if we gather in his name that he would be here, and today we are in the presence of God. Because we're gathered in His name. 
Because we know that promise is given to us. And so this is why we gather. We don't gather for you to have a good day or for me to have a good day or anything like that. We gather to be in his presence. And friends, if you're coming to church to do anything else other than be and bask in the presence of God, you've got it wrong. You're absolutely missing the mark. Today we choose churches based on who's got the best praise band or who's got the best music or the best programs. Listen to this. You know who needs to lead your children? You do. We don't need a, a, a youth pastor with spiky hair and all that cool stuff. We don't need that. The fact is, as we see, and the numbers actually show and represent this, that we talk about the people that are leaving the church. We talk about the, the 20-somethings that walk away from the church. And we ask them about what they did or didn't like from the church. And they're, they're disheartened by the church. They talk about people that are hypocrites and all this other stuff. And they have all these reasons of why church is not good enough for them. But when you ask the ones who stayed why they stayed, it's, it's found that the majority of the time, now there's always going to be an anomaly, but the thing is we can't build a church on an anomaly. We must build it and found it on the Word of God and God alone. The ones who stayed, you know who they were? They were the ones whose parents were involved in their lives. They were the ones whose parents actually led their family and led their children. It wasn't just something they drop off at church and then pick back up or take it by someone else. It was those who actually saw God being lived out and fleshed out in their home right in front of their very eyes. They see their parents praying. They see their parents not getting anxious over things, but instead taking it to God in prayer and believing that God was going to move in their lives. It's time we have church. Amen? Or as they say in the South, church, they leave out the R. It's time to have church the way God designed church to be. And we see here in the book of Acts something you know, very unique, but, but the reason John MacArthur called it ordinary is because of the simple fact is the world today wants something that's extraordinary. They want something that's flashy, energetic. I call it the HD factor, high def. I used to make fun of Dave and Mary because I had a 56-inch high def. When I watch golf, I can see the blades of grass flying. Amen? It is awesome. I, when I watch NASCAR, I can see the bugs on the windshield. I go to their house, I couldn't even see the TV. I'm like, where is it? It's over there. What? I don't see it. What's that bubble thing? I thought it was an electronic fishbowl. And let me tell you something, after you've been watching 56-inch HD, by the way, that's small now. Sal may or may not got me an upgrade, I'm not for sure. Right? So, so when you're used to watching HD, and then you go over and watch the bubble? Matter of fact, I got computer, uh, computer monitors bigger than their television they had. It's like, what is that thing? And I can't see nothing. I was cleaning my glasses. There's something wrong with this TV. I put it back on. Nope, it's still as fuzzy as it was before. 
We're in the HD culture. We want to be shocked, right? We got reality TV. I want to see everything in high def. Well, the fact is, is that people want to be entertained because that's what we are geared for these days, to be entertained. It's when you want to be entertained that you start choosing your church based on the type of music or the sound of the band or the, the dynamic speaker or whatever the case may be. When's the last time that we see people actually going to their knees before God and say, God, where would you have me work? Where is it that you want me to be so that I can participate and your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven as far as it depends on me? The problem is, is well, the, the dam that's been holding the water back is starting to crack on these flimsy, experiential type of churches. Why? Because that will not take you through a crisis. Amen? It will not take you through a crisis. I'm going to tell you something. The family's been in a crisis. Families have had to spend time together this past year. Imagine that. I used to hear all the time, well, you know, when it comes to like our school and all these other things, well, we want this for our kids. We, want it. We, don't, we don't want our kids to be deprived of this and deprived of that. Let me tell you something. There ain't no worse deprivation it's going to be in being deprived is when God says, turn away from me, you worker of iniquity, because I never knew you, and they get sin uh, cast in to everlasting punishment. You talk about ostracized then. You'll wish that you could go back and do things over. You'll be wishing that you could go back and have those moments together. You know what? We should have slowed down. We should have ate at the dinner table more. We should have took more time for the family. The simple fact is, is we also learned this year that life can be gone just like that. And then all you have left is what you instilled in other people. Do you realize that? You can't take any stuff with you. You can't take it at all. You leave it behind. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon talk about that. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity and vexation. Because I, one man works just to give it to another when he dies. And that's what life is. But it's only it's what we invest in people. It's what we've done with our lives to make other people's lives better. And listen, you can do things for people and you can, you can help them along the way. But the best thing you can do for them is share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You can do all other manner of things and they may think that you're a good person. But it is only when we share the gospel and salvation is had to each person that we, that we share the gospel to. That is what will last forever. That is what we build upon. It might be great. There might be some people when I die, I say, yeah, Huff was all right. He was all right guy. He fixed my heat once, fixed my air conditioner twice or whatever the case may be. But listen, if I don't share Jesus with you, then I have let you down. I may have fixed your heat, but that is temporary. That unit will go out sooner or later. And when it does, see, Christy, he'll sell you one. Sooner or later, that fix that I put on that unit is going to be had because it's going to be in the junk pile with all the other stuff. It's only what I shared with you that will take you through an eternity that is worth talking about. Amen? We can do all kinds of great things for people. But if we don't share the gospel, we missed the mark. Amen? We've missed the mark. And so in the church today, this emotional excitement, it doesn't reach the lost. Do you know that? All it does is make them feel better about themselves that I attended church. 
I attended. I was entertained for an hour. And I got to go home. Instead, you get to say you got yelled at for two hours and got to go home with a headache. That's all right. I can take that. Amen. I'm good for it. Doesn't bother me a bit. I finally got past all that. I tell you, once you get past worrying about whether people like you or not and just center your life on whether God is pleased with you or not, you'd be surprised how much easier your life is. It's a whole lot easier. I have to answer to God. Now listen, because of my love for God, I need to love you as myself. Amen? And I'll love you, but if you don't like me, that's on you. I mean, what's not to like? You can give me the ugly sweater and I'll wear it. I got a place in my closet, right, for things I do wear and things where I wear on occasion like a tuxedo. This will be on the tuxedo side. I don't think I'm built for this thing, just to be honest. That's why I'm standing behind here. I, I got more rolls than a bakery up here. But I want Kevin to see what he looks like when he preaches. Just a bigger version. When John MacArthur called the church ordinary, what he was talking about is the simple things that we can do day in and day out. Those four things that we saw the church doing are things that we need to be doing every day. See, living a Christian life is not a Sunday thing. It's not a Wednesday night thing. It is an everyday thing. And it is the ordinary things that we get caught up on that we lay down on. You see, the simple fact is if I told you that you had to climb the highest hill to please God... If I told you you had to climb to, to, the, to, to you know, Mount Everest or something like that, you'd be conditioning yourself because, well, I want to do something great and big. But maybe God's calling you to, you know what, to work the soup kitchen, to ladle out soup for people who don't even appreciate it. You see, the fact is, is that he calls it the ordinary church because it is the ordinary things that we sometimes lose sight of and we don't do them and that's why we grow weak. It is the ordinary things that we must do when we're walking through a trial. You see, the simple fact is having one of those experiences, uh, uh, having uh, one of those uh, and being... Uh, trying to, I say fed, but that's really uh, trying to think that you're being fed uh, by someone who's just trying to make you feel better about yourself today. They're going to give you a few cool songs that make you tap your feet and feel better about things and give you a little entertainment. And then you go home. The fact is, is when rubber meets the road and calamity hits your house, there is nothing there. Nothing. We must get down into the ordinary things, church. The ordinary, everyday things, that is what will carry us. And sometimes we, dis, we discount these things. We're waiting for God. God, I need you to show up and do some great big thing. We want to see lights. We want to see smoke. I want to see lightning. Instead, God says, read your Bible. What? Wait a second. My life will get better and I can walk through calamity. I can walk through the worst thing in my life by doing these four simple things, by just reading God's Word and praying and having fellowship with other believers and remembering what Jesus did on the cross. Absolutely. That's exactly what you need to be doing. We're sitting around ignoring the ordinary things that we could be doing every day that will strengthen us, that will help us grow, that will help us uh, be able to walk this road. And when calamity does hit, and it will, it'll hit. Amen? 
Sooner or later, it's going to hit your house, just like it's hit others. Sooner or later, you'll hear there's words you don't want to hear. Whether it be some kind of health or losing someone or, or financial uh, collapse, you name it, sooner or later something is coming to your house. And listen, if you're not doing the ordinary things, if we're not willing to be the ordinary church, don't expect God to show up in an extraordinary way when you ain't put in the time and work. Amen? We sit around sitting on our hands, doing nothing, and all of a sudden just want God to show up one day. You know, uh, my doctor talked to me, and we talked about my back and my neck and all that stuff, and I know there's some things I need to be doing. She said, what about your knees? Your knees still giving you a fit? Yep. How come you never mention them? Well, doctor's just some things I ain't going to say. Why is that? Because that's on me. You carry this around with you all day, your knees are going to hurt. You see, I don't expect you to fix something that I can do myself. Well, pastor, I thought you said take everything to God in prayer. Absolutely. You need to take everything to God in prayer and pray wisely and pray real. How can I, I went, was it was, I was just expecting to wake up one day and look like one of you skinny folks, wake up one day and be like Bobby minus the hair? If, you, if I looked at you and told you my knees hurt, why are they hurt? Because I got all this weight on these things. Won't you do something about it? Now, I'm just waiting to wake up one day and God's going to move. And that's going to be it. I'm going to see lightning flashing and thunder roll and it's going to shake with smoke and I'll just look like Bobby, but better looking. Minus the hair. Because if I had hair, I wouldn't have a, anyway, bullet thing going on. Give me a new name, mullet man. You see, the simple fact is the church has abandoned doctrine and fellowship. And in lieu of that, they want an experience that will never keep them. This morning I heard the term putting one foot in front of the other. You see, putting one foot in front of the other is an ordinary thing that everyone can do. That we're supposed to do, that we need to do. We don't want to hear that, do you? Pastor, how do I make it through this tough time? I've got to ask that question. How do I make it through this tough time? Guess what I shared with them? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I said, but first, first you've got to hit the verses before Acts 2, 42. And what was that? When people repented and received the Spirit of God. We see repentance happen before we break in. I broke into the church already being the church. But without Christ, even doing these things, it's not going to mean anything to you. You've got to surrender to Him. Let Him be Lord of your life. We've got to get back to doing the ordinary things. I thought about this. I thought about the word revival. How many times you heard that? Man, Pastor, we need a revival. Some people think a revival is a series of services you have for a week long or four nights or whatever, and, and we schedule revivals. Revival, in the true sense of the word, is not going to be scheduled. That's just a series of services. People ask me, how come you don't, how come you don't hold revivals? Been waiting on one. Amen? But I've been living one in my life. And that's what you need to do too. 
What am I supposed to schedule a series of services that all of a sudden is going to turn your attitude around and turn your heart back toward God and make you see things in a real sense and quit being immature? Is that, am I supposed to schedule that? If so, tell me what date you're available. I'll pencil you in. Amen? Well, you're pretty hard on state. No, I'm just telling you this is the way it is. This is, this is the culture that we live in. And maybe, maybe you're not doing this, but maybe you need to hear this and you need to share this with your other folks that claim to be followers of Christ but yet don't live it. Maybe this is for you to share. Maybe this is for you to gain information. Take it to heart. Maybe get back to doing the right things yourself, but maybe you're already doing some of those. Maybe this is about growing, getting in deeper, just re-solidifying what you already know, or maybe learning so that you can share it with someone else. But I looked up the word revival. Revival is from the Hebrew word chaya and means to bring back to life to restore to consciousness or to restore to a previous condition as stated in the Bible. It means a restoration, a rejuvenation, or renewal of interest after spiritual neglect, oblivion, or obscurity. It's quite the long thing, isn't it? Notice a series of services is not in this definition of revival. It's not there. Why? Because true revival is bringing back something to life that has grown cold or lifeless. God actually gives us really what we need for revival. And the thing is, is why don't we see revival? I see people tell country, we need to turn back to God. We need to have a revival. Are you wanting a revival? Amen. Listen, do you want a revival? Do you want a revival? It's very simple. Get back to putting one foot in front of the other in the ways that God says, and you will find a revival. I can't do it for you. I can schedule services. I can bring in a dynamic speaker. But if your heart is not really wanting to be one with God, if you're not really wanting to grow closer and deeper in Him, then all you're going to do is attend a series of services, and you're likely not to come every night anyway. It's always the pastor and his wife leaving holding the bag, wondering if anybody's going to show up. This is about, do you want to grow closer? Do you want to get into deeper things of God? Because God gives us some very clear instructions on how to have revival. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelations, Revelation, I should say, there's no S on that. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. I'm sure you've heard this passage before. But let's look, at what, let's look at what Christ is saying to the church at Ephesus. It says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those that are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So we see here a church, a church that's not accepting sin, and that's important. Well, I'm telling you right now, listen, I call sin, sin. Well, that's good. This church did too. These church rejected those people who said they were apostles. They weighed them against the word and found them to be false, and they called them out. But the problem is there's still something missing. Verse 3 says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Now, what you think about that for a minute, if I, if I didn't read that but part and I just stopped right before that, 
Right? If I just stopped and just read the, 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 the verses right before that, instead of going into verse 4, if I read just verses 1 through 3, you'd be like, wow, this church is really doing great. They call evil, evil. They take a stand. They weigh people against the word of God. And when they're false, they're false. They call it like it is. I mean, don't you know people like that? People that call it like it is. Don't you love them? I love them. Problem is, a lot of times we call it like it is till we look in the mirror. Amen? Oh, it's easy to call it like it is when it's somebody else's thing. I can look at you up and down. I can tell you, listen, I know what you're doing. I know how you've been living. I'm weighing you against the word of God. And I'm telling you right now, you come up short, sister. You come up short, brother. I see it right here. And I weighed you against it. You fall short. And you got some problem in your life. And I call sin, sin. But then you get that mirror out. What? A lot of times we're just wanting to call the judgment out on people. We don't even know them yet. Already wanting to, you know what I'm saying? As soon as you see somebody, oh, I know who that person is. Oh, I know what that person is. You just go around tagging everybody. Sinner, 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 sinner. Sinner, sinner. And I see you back there behind me, sinner. But let's look at the rest of the passage. Verse 4 says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Think about that for a minute. It's not hard for us to fall into a judgmental spirit. But can I take you back a moment in time? I want you to go back a moment in time for a minute. And I want you to close your eyes. Listen, if you really want to hear God's word, you'll hear it today. If you let something else distract you, that's on you. I want you to listen. I want you to go back to that time where you surrendered your life to Christ. I don't want you to think about anything else. I don't want you to look around nobody. I want you to go back to that time where you finally laid who you are down at the foot of the cross. And you say, God, I made a mess of my life. I have made wrong choices. I have done things that are absolutely despicable. And I can't even look myself in the mirror. But your word says that you love me. That you took my sin upon your back. That you gave your life for me. And that if I would call you Lord, you said that I'd be yours. Today, God, I'm laying down who I am and I want you to be Lord of my life. Lord, I want your spirit to indwell me, and I want to be yours. I want to love others like you love others. Lord, I, I, I want to do your will, and I want to rest in your peace, and I want to have that joy that passes all understanding. So God, I repent today of who I am and what I've done, and I ask you to be Lord of my life. Y'all remember that day? Because I remember it. I remember how bright the sun was. I remember how green the grass was. I remember the sky being a blue that I'd never seen before because everything looked different. Because instead of walking in opposition to Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, instead I was walking in harmony with Him and I was His child. 
and I had laid all that I was down on the altar. All the screw-ups, all the messes, it didn't matter anymore because they had been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And I felt whole for the first time in a long time. For the first time, I woke up in the morning and didn't want to just end life. For the first time, I woke up in the morning and I wanted to live. I wanted to tell others about Jesus. Do you remember that day? Do you remember how good it felt? Do you remember how free that you felt? you remember how much lighter you felt that day? If you do, then you get what Jesus is saying here. He says, remember that day? You've lost that. Serving God is no longer a joy for you. It's a habit. It's something you do. And you're in such a habit of doing it that you won't stop doing it, but your heart's not there. Matter of fact, when, when you go to church, you're just looking at what other people are doing, and, you, you, and you're just, all you can do is pick, 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 pick. Everything else seems to be bigger than, in your eyes than the actual presence of God himself. Matter of fact, you could come in, do church, and leave, and if God never showed up, it'd be just fine because you sang your few songs, you listened to a long-winded preacher, you got your headache, and you went home, and you got something to eat, and now you can get on with the rest of your week. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus is looking at the church of Ephesus and said, listen, you did great things, and you still hate sin. The problem is you hate everybody else too. You see, that's what happens when we, first, when we first encounter Christ and He becomes our Lord and we know that God is love and we want to be just like God and we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. and we'll go into the worst of the worst places. We'll go into the back alleys and everywhere else and we'll find the worst dirty person we can find and we'll share with them that God loves them. But somewhere along the way, Maybe you got your feelings hurt or something else has happened. Or maybe there was a time that maybe you prayed for something and things didn't work out the way you thought they ought to. Whatever it is, somewhere along the line, you turned a corner. And it was no longer about being in the presence of God that drove you to, to, to fellowship together with other believers. It was habit. You see, if you walk in church... And you walk out of church feeling worse for the wear. Then maybe you didn't come for the right reason. Maybe you're driving to church thinking, I know he's going to preach about me again today. He did it last week and the week before. I will tell you, I go to the extra ends of the earth to avoid that. Trust me, I do, because I've been there and I've lived through that. And I can promise you that when I get up to preach, I've been asking God what he has for us and him alone. I don't consult you or any other gossip around here as to what's going on that I need to address from the pulpit. If I need to address something, I think some of y'all know me well enough to know by now. Most of you do. If there's something to address, we'll do that in the office. I'm not a bully. I'll be real with you and I'll shoot straight with you because that's what God has called us to do. So if you're coming to church and you're going back home and you're feeling worse for the wear, then maybe you have to ask yourself, why didn't I love the word that was just brought? Even if the word stepped on my toes, why didn't I love it and embrace it? Would you be mad at your doctor for telling you the truth? 
if he wrote you a prescription for something that, was, that tasted nasty, it was tough to do, but it would bring healing to your life, would you reject that too and throw that prescription back at him and say, I don't need that? Is that what you'd do? Because when we reject God's word or we get mad at God's word because it doesn't sound like what we want, listen, what you're doing is you're telling the great physician that he doesn't know you well enough. You're telling the great physician that he's got it wrong. He may be right about everybody else. But when it comes to me, you got it wrong. You're not rejecting me. I shared Christ with someone yesterday. They aren't where, they're, they, aren't where they need to be to, to really want him, but they're, they're searching. I wasn't rejecting yesterday. I wasn't turned down. When someone rejects God, they're rejecting him. And when you reject his written word or his spoken word, it, you're still rejecting him. It's, I have nothing to do with it. Now, I'm going to tell you, there are times that preachers can walk out of the will of God, if you, if you will, and become personal and bully from the pulpit, but that shouldn't be. But the, this church of Ephesus did all the... Do you remember what happened at Ephesus? Do you remember how hot that revival was? To the point that silversmiths were losing work and mad about it? The temple of Diana was there? And people were walking away in droves and clinging to Christ. And here now Jesus is telling them just 60, 70 years later that you're still rejecting sin and you're still calling sin, sin. But the fact is, is that your heart is no longer loving. That drunk in the alleyway that doesn't spend all of his money on booze, at one time you would have looked at that person, you would have bought them a hamburger or something, and, and you would have taken care of them, and you would have tried to get them out of the cold. You would have done something, but now you look at them and say, well, they got himself there. How many times have we heard that? If I hear that one more time from a Christian about somebody who's in addiction and want to blame it on them, listen, yes, did they make the choice to stick the needle? Yeah, they did. But how many bad choices you made? Why is it that you can make bad choices, but they're not as bad, but someone else made a bad choice and they're just going to have to live with it? They have to get themselves up. Is that the love of Christ? I, I can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. We're taught to love. This church called sin, sin, but it forgot to love. You me tell you something. Somebody who's in sin will let you tell them about it if they think you love them. I had somebody say this to me not too long ago. I hear you, Huff, I hear you talking about love, but I don't feel any love from God at all. I don't feel it. I don't feel that God loves me at all. By the way, I like truth, don't you? I'd rather somebody tell me the truth and how they really see things than to lie to me and tell me what they think a pastor wants to hear. They said, I don't feel like God loves me at all. By the way, here's my response. I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that I care about you? Yeah, I do. You've taken time for me. You've tried to help me with some things. You've went to bat for me. Yeah, Huff, I believe that you love me. 
well, where do you think I got it from? It's only the love of God that can compel me to love someone like myself. Because I don't know about you, but I value my time just like you value yours. And when we talk about laying our life down for others and for God, sometimes we think that we're jumping in front of a bullet. That's not giving your life up. Giving your life up is dropping your plans and what you had planned to go help somebody else. It's taking time out of your day. It's allowing the interruptions to happen to your life and taking opportunity, even in the interruption, to share Jesus with someone. So when I looked them in the eye and said, do you believe that I love you? And they said, yes. And then where I got it from Jesus. And he told me to love you like I love myself. And so any love that you receive from me, I can tell you with 100% assurance, unequivocally, that the love that I show you came from God. Because before I surrendered to God, there was no love in my heart except for Hoff. Amen? There was no love in my heart for you or anyone else. It was all about what Huff wanted and what could get Huff to where Huff wanted to be. I loved me. He says, you've abandoned the love you had at first. But then he gives us, he gives us the remedy and the prescription for revival. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Do you see the prescription there? Go back and do the first things. What did the early church do first? What were they teaching the other churches as they were spreading the gospel around from city to city and from country to country? What did they tell them to do? Devote themselves to the teaching of God. Fellowship. Remember the sacrifice that Christ made, communion, and to continue in prayer. So what is the prescription? How does revival really come? It's not a scheduled list of services. Revival is when we revive the love that we once had in our heart, that love that we had that once burned hot for God and for fellow man. That vertical relationship I have with God, I had this great love for God, and because of that, I loved horizontally my relationships here on this earth. Revival is when I revive that cold, dead heart that I once had that burned with love, is to rekindle that fire. And again, love God and love my neighbor as myself. That's the prescription for revival. It's just to go back. If you've ever played football, right? Football ain't nothing more than blocking and tackling. Right? That's what we teach. Blocking and tackling. Baseball, pitching and catching. If you can't pitch and catch, you might as well not talk about the rest of the game. In football, if you can't block and tackle, just be Tom Brady. All he does is throw the ball and run. And cry. That's the side of point. Blocking and tackling. I remember, I remember going to football practice and blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. 
I'm like, how much are we going to? He said, Huff, this game is about blocking and tackling. What else do you want to practice? He said, when you get the fundamentals, everything else will come to you. You will grow in the other parts if you get the fundamentals right and you spend the time doing the fundamental things and you see what we see here is the fundamental things that the early church was doing. And then when we see about 60, 80 years later, when Jesus is revealing to John on the Isle of Patmos the condition of the churches when he gets to Ephesus, you've hated sin. You call out people who are wrong. But the problem is you quit blocking and tackling. You quit putting one foot in front of the other. You quit getting up and saying, you know what? I had a rough day yesterday and the day ahead looks rough too. But you know what? I'm not going to deny doing the fundamental things. I'm going to spend time in the Word today. I'm going to pray today. I'm going to remember what Christ did for me today. And I'm going to make sure that I leverage my relationships for the glory of God. That's what fellowship is, by the way. Fellowship, we can look at it in a communal sense as far as coming together in church like we are today. But also, listen, those relationships and fellowship is not just a one-day thing. Do you, do you get that? You see, we need to go back and look at what happened in verses 43 through 47, and we'll see that this is a daily thing. They are doing the fundamental things every day. So let me ask you this. Do you read your Bible every day? Do you take time to pray? And when, listen, when I talk about pray, all right, let's be honest. Guys, y'all know about that nothing box. We talk about that sometimes, right? You realize that when your wife's trying to have a conversation with you and you keep turning up the volume on the TV, that's not considered communication. Y'all know that, right? By the way, ladies, make sure you get our attention before you go into that long excerpt. <laughs> You get a big breath. Well, I don't even know you're talking. Sal, did you say something? I got to go over it again? Well, apparently you should have got my attention first. Now, I want you to think about that prayer is communing with God. It's getting alone with Him. That's something you have to take time for. If you're going to have a great prayer life, you're going to have to take time out and block all the other stuff out. If Sal and I need to have an important conversation, you know what we do? We cut all the other stuff off. Turn the phones upside down, turn the ringers off of them, do what we got to do. But we need to have a discussion. We really, want to, we really want to talk and communicate with one another. And we really want to be close. We have to take all that other stuff and turn it off. So do you read God's word? Do you pray? Do you get alone with him? And I'm not talking about just getting alone with him and giving him your wish list. Do you get alone with him? Communication is two-way. It's one thing for me to say something to Sal, but then I have to shut my mouth and listen. I like one old school teacher told me, it's not by accident that you got two ears and one mouth. Of course, my grandfather used to say, there's other parts of your body that make noise too. And they ain't no better. That's what he used to say. Y'all can get that and explain that to your kids later. Blocking and tackling. So listen, when you look at verse 42 and you start doing that every day, then there are results that come along the way. Think about what, let's go to verse 43. I'm going to go through it quickly. Verse 43 says this, 
and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. By the way, that was the apostles' job. The apostles was, it was a mechanism that God used to bring us the words that we have today in the New Testament. Most theologians will tell you, and I believe that that time for apostleship has been, it has, it has run its course. It's, it's been done for years. We have the Word of God. We have it now. A lot of people claim it to be a, a, apostles. And you realize that the signs and the wonders that were being done was to identify them that their apostleship was ordained by God. There were some people that were claiming to be apostles, but when you looked at their life, the signs and the wonders and God doing miraculous things in their life and using them in a mighty way was not present, and so they called them a fraud. And so when it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, we do realize is that, that now we have that written word. It's talking about listening to God and His word. At that time in the early church, God was using the apostles to deliver this word as well as also expounding upon the Old Testament. So in verse 43, we see that these great things were being done. By the way, you may say, well, well then verse 43 doesn't really apply to now. No, it, it really does. You ever seen somebody's life who was tore up and there was no hope to be found and they didn't want to live anymore? And then they encounter Christ and suddenly there is hope. Suddenly uh, eyes that once were dim and looked like there was no life in them now sparkle and shine because now they have hope and their life was changed. They were sentenced for death and now they have a reservation in heaven. Is that not miraculous? Because that's exactly what happened in my life. Miracles still happen. In verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. You see, these are the results of doing the blocking and tackling. If we live out verse 42 every day and do the ordinary things, we will have extraordinary results. The problem is, is we, wanna, we, we don't want to put in the time or the work. We just want the results. I saw, you ever watch them stupid shows on Discovery Channel? And, and where people were like, get, this guy was getting peck implants. Thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm like, you could save your money and get a gym membership. You know what I'm saying? If I wanted pecs, I'd have a belly to hold it up. I tell people I had pecs once, now they're down here. I went from six pack of abs to a couple gallons. We want, in, we, we want the results, but we don't want to put in the time. We want God to, to bring us through, and we want God to sustain us in difficult times. But to do that, we must continue to do what? Continue to do Acts 42. Chapter 2, verse 42. Continue the blocking and tackling. Continue getting in God's Word every day and praying and remember what Christ's done. And, and by all means, fellowship, even if it means that you have to ask someone, say, listen, I really need a brother or a sister that can just, I need someone to speak into my life. And if they truly love Christ and they truly love you, they'll take that opportunity to speak into your life. But listen, if you're going to ask somebody to, to mentor you, if you're going to ask somebody to, 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 to speak into your life, make sure that their life has the results that are biblical and scriptural. A lot of people come up and appear to be spiritual, 
but all it is is fluff. And when you actually look at their life and you look at the true things that they do, you'll realize that their heart is far from them. They're just selfish, but they have all the right words. Make sure if you're going to let somebody speak into your life, make sure that they have the love of God within them, but they also have the time and the word to be able to help you. Bible says iron shop and Zion, by the way. They had come to have all things in common. There was this unity there. It's kaonos is a word that was used there in the Greek. It means common or ordinary. Think about that. They had all things common. They had all things ordinary. What does that mean? Listen, they were blocking and tackling. I was blocking and tackling. You're blocking and tackling. We have all things common. When we're all doing that to grow deeper in the God, you'd be surprised how great the harmony will be between us all. But when you have one person that's jockeying for position or the other person wants their position or one person wants this style of music, no one, listen, all that mess comes from self-centeredness and selfishness and immaturity. That's where that's the, when we let things on this earth separate us from enjoying the presence of God together, you and I, if we let things of this earth come between us, then there's something missing in our lives. I would say somebody is not blocking and tackling. If we let things of this or separate us, that means that we're looking to other things to satisfy us, to make us feel better about ourselves. You've heard me tell it many times, I've seen churches split over the color of the carpet, and that ain't, that ain't a lie. And then when I said that one time, Kevin started laughing, he's like, I, I know somewhere that happened too. Turns out there's immature Christians everywhere. They're everywhere. Verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I want you to think about that for a minute. You see, we need fellowship. We need to see God move miraculously in our lives, and he will. But we see in verse 45 that the church had disconnected themselves from the need of stacking material wealth. Why? Well, because Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. These people had extra. It didn't mean they necessarily went and sold their only home, but maybe they owned other pieces of land. Other things that were of value that were just laying around. How many of you all had to get that one toy and now that you got it, you don't even use it? Bear, I'm the only ignoramus in here. I'm sure I'm not the only ignoramus in here. Had to have that something or it's done broke. Or I, like it. I like it when you got you know, to have that new car and a new car smell. And then you get the first payment book and that new car smell is gone. Or you have teenage boys like we did. I bought a new truck. had two teenage boys. That smell was gone in a day. Y'all know what I'm saying? Good gravy. I never thought stink could entrench itself into vinyl, but turns out it did. The church had disconnected from having to have that material wealth. You see, it's not just the wealth itself. It's also the pursuit of it, the pursuit it's not just wanting to stack up toys, but it's the pursuit. Because when we're pursuing that, then we will, we will take every opportunity, every job, every minute of the day. And next thing you know, we're working so much that we wouldn't have time to enjoy the thing that we wanted if we even had it. 
Or somehow we think in our mind, once I get to here and I get that, then I'll be able to unplug and then just enjoy it. No, you won't. If that is your focus, you will not be satisfied because on your way to get to that target, you'll see something else that's even better. That's the way stacking material wealth does. It gets a hold on us. The Bible says we become slave to the lender. By the way, there was a, there was a, uh, there was a couple that's found in Acts chapter 4. Could you imagine this church? Now, by the way, think about this. A bunch of Jews had come into Jerusalem because of the Passover and the Feast of Pentecost. And there was a bunch of people there, and then they, they came to, to knowledge of Christ through Peter's preaching, and over 3,000 were saved in just one day. They didn't go home. You see, it was very common to be hospitable back in those days. Hospitality was something that if you weren't hospitable, your name got dragged through the mud. It was a big deal. It was a real big deal. And so these people are having these people come in their home and stay, and, and now they've received Christ, and now they, they don't want to go back. They want to stay here. They want to learn. They want to grow. Somebody's got to house them. People were opening up their homes. They were selling stuff to make sure they could feed them and have food, and everybody's needs were met. Francis Chan does a good job talking about this. It's about a seven-minute video. You have to look it up on YouTube where he talks about this very thing. He says, listen, you know, People are worried about, well, I'm worried about my retirement. I'm worried about this. Listen, I believe God ought to, we ought to be wise. By the way, financial peace, financial peace starts this week. By the way, financial peace is not about building up wealth either. It's about not being slave to it. And it also teaches you to give according to Scripture. Because a lot of people say, you know, when, once I get this paid off and that paid off, I'll be able to give to the church like I should. So what you're saying is your desires and what you want for your life has become the priority. And once your priority is met, then you will see God as a priority. You know the likelihood that it's not going to happen, right? Verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And then verse 47, I'll just go ahead and read it. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You remember a couple of weeks ago when I read about Paul saying that, that his imprisonment had served to advance the gospel. And he signed off that letter, the Philippian letter, right? And those from Caesar's household. Paul may have been in prison, but it doesn't mean that he didn't have a loving heart. You see, the fact is, is that Paul was winning the soldiers to Christ. Because when we live and we have a loving heart and we serve to meet the needs of others, when I see your need greater than my need, if I see that you have a need and I can somehow meet it, I should. And if I can't meet it, but I know that I can get two or three people together and maybe together we can meet that need, the Bible says I should. Jesus said that we are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked. We ought to take care of the disenfranchised. We ought to stand up for those people who can't stand for themselves. It's amazing if you read back through American history and look at what the church was willing to accept and swallow down. It is scary. Very scary. Because it met a need for somebody else. And so they were willing to look the other way. You know what Jesus says? We can't look the other way. 
If we see somebody being wrong, we are to do something about it. We see somebody that has a need, we are to do something about it. But the fact is, is we live our lives so busy and so centered on the things that we need to do is that a lot of times there is need around us that is just shouting from the rooftops and we can't even hear it because we're so busy meeting our own and scared to death that we're not going to have enough. When do we get to the point, like Francis Chan said, that we realize that God promised us that he would take care of us? He says, does he not feed the, the birds? Do the birds not have something to eat? Does he not know how to take care of you if he can take care of the animals? Like the psalmist says that I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. When do we start living according to Christ and being the church and trust God that he'll meet the needs that we have? Using our influence we have to do good. That's what God has called us to do. And it says this, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Why is that important? Because that's the whole purpose. Amen? That is the purpose of being the church. Why do we meet the needs of other people? So that we can love them and then tell them why we're loving them. Part of me wants to tell you a story, but then it'll sound like I'm bragging. So let me just say that I, I, I know someone. And we were involved with someone who needed some help. And we help them. And when you reach out to someone when everybody else has rejected them and you try to help them, you will be surprised in things that they will ask you. You're like, why are you doing this? In other words, what's the catch? There is none. There is none. Because I see that you have a need and we have a way to meet that need and we'll do just that. It doesn't mean they're going to flock to this church and all of a sudden, the, you know... Listen, the results are not up to me. Elizabeth Elliot said it best. Our job is to be obedient and the results are up to God. We see here the results of the church living day by day, every day for Christ, every day taking in his word, fellowship, prayers, and remembering what Christ did for us. Listen, why is the remembrance so important? Because the moment I forget that it was my sin that was laid on his back, then I'll think that I'm better than you. And when I think that I'm better than you, then I am like the Ephesian church that Jesus was talking about. You call sin, sin, but your heart has no love in it. There are people that will break your heart and doing ministry is messy and sometimes it can be ugly and hurtful. But it's what we're called to do. We're called to love. We're called to be obedient, even when our life is not going according to plan or even when our life takes a turn we never accounted for and things aren't easy for us and they're difficult and they're hard, those are the moments where we need to do block and tackling the most. That's not the time that we lay down. That's the time when we roll up our sleeves. We get our gum boots on and lace them babies up. And if we do those things, God will bring us through. And he will use our pain for a purpose. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may be years from now. Or you may never see it. But I trust God that pain has a purpose. No evilness comes from God. But it doesn't mean that he's not able to take even people's evil and use it 
for his glory. Sometimes we forget how powerful God is. God, I need, God, you know, this person needs to do, if, if this would just happen or whatever, and we, we, you know, we, we pray in a way almost like doubting God's ability. Do you realize that so-and-so doesn't have to participate in God's plan? God can still get it done. And not trample on your free will at the same time. Why? Because he's God and he can do that. He's not me. He's not you. God is able to do more than we could ever think or we could ever ask. So would you stand with me and bow your heads? Verse 42 gives us the plan. Verses 43 through 47 give us the results. The results are beautiful inside the church, and the results are beautiful outside the church. You see, some of the things we do will affect inside of here, and the things we do will also affect people outside of here. We are to strengthen one another in these doors and love the brotherhood, but the whole purpose is so that we may be able to spread the gospel outside these doors. If I can't love you and you're in the brotherhood, how could I love somebody outside of it? If I can't take care of you, how could I take care of someone else? If I can't stand up for those people who are being wronged here, how can I do it somewhere else? If we live according to the scripture and we do what's prescribed in verse 42, our relationships will be better, our church will be stronger, we will be unified. And all the little things that seem to agitate us now won't even exist. Why? I won't see them. Why? Because I'll see the need for salvation out here, and that's what I need to keep in view. I don't need to be worrying about these little minute things that just have nothing to do with the gospel. What is it that gets us off track? More specifically, what gets you off track? What is it that seems to get in your mind and take you away from doing the things of God? What is it that gets in your mind that, that causes you to lay down and, and not take one step in front of the other? What is it that causes you to just say, you know what, today I'm just not, I'm just not feeling it? You don't have to feel it. You see, that's the problem. Everybody wants to feel some great experience kind of thing. Instead, sometimes it's just doing the ordinary things. But the ordinary things will have extraordinary results if you will do them. I could go in and I could bench press day after day, and I might not see the results at day two or day three, but sooner or later I'm going to look in the mirror one day and I'm going to be different. One day I'm going to wake up and realize that the sun is brighter today. I didn't think I would ever get out of the rain or the darkness. But now today I see a ray of sunshine. Because I didn't stop putting my shoes on. I didn't stop blocking and tackling. I didn't stop doing the ordinary things. And I trusted God that if I would do what he says, if I would do the ordinary things, that he'll show up in an extraordinary way. Do you want your life to count for something extraordinary? Do you want your pain to truly fulfill its purpose and see others' lives changed? 
Do you want what it is that you know in your heart and what you've learned in living life for Christ? Don't you want others to be able to grow from that and to be able to share that with others so that they may be able to, to see God's work in your life so that they will be encouraged about what God can do in theirs? We have to put the childish things away. We have to get back into fellowship. We have to steep ourselves in prayer and God's word and always, always, always remember that it was my sin that was on his back, lest I forget and I start to think that somehow I deserved the love that God has shown me. I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, and no one else does, so that means we're all in the same place because the ground is level at Calvary. Don't start putting hills on it. Don't build yourself up a hill and think that you're superior because it doesn't take about a second for you to fall from that ivory tower and find yourself in calamity only to find out that you were weak the whole time because you never did the ordinary things.